0: A warm welcome to Questions Worth Asking, a podcast where we capture and translate wisdom from multiple disciplines in order to fuel the next generation of changemakers.
1: Hello, welcome back to Questions Worth Asking. This is Season 1, Episode 7. I'm Priya. And I'm John. And today we are delighted, we have fellow OD practitioner Joan Scarrett with us, who's also worked for a number of years in as a bereavement volunteer, so we're going to explore that subject today.
0: Right, so maybe if we just start with the really broad, general question of what got you started in bereavement?
2: So I was 38 when my parents died. Um, I, at that stage... I was just coming to the end of my third lot of maternity leave. Uh, We have three girls. We're lucky enough to have three girls. Um, So our youngest uh, child was uh, just uh, coming up to six months. Um, We'd spent Christmas with our family um, and uh, really enjoyed that Christmas. And, I mean, I say enjoyed... But there was a significant event, which was just a few sentences from my mother. So at the age of 38, I found out that my mum's mother died at Christmas when she was nine. I knew that her parents had died when she was young. I got no idea it was at Christmas. Um, And uh, she was... In the main, brought up by her older sister, um, but uh, we'd had Christmas. I'd taken away that significant understanding and appreciation, um, and then uh, the day before my father's uh, birthday, which was the twenty third of January. Um, my sister called me to say that my father had died, that he'd had a heart attack. Um, and my parents lived up in Sheffield and I was now in Windsor. So my parents were just there. They were always there, but never intimately in my life on a day-to-day basis. We had the funeral, and um, and uh, my sister had stayed with uh, mum during the time. We had the funeral of the following Friday. And on the Saturday, uh, my sister Jean had said that she was going to leave my mum that night. So nine o'clock the following day, uh, that evening, I phoned mum just to see how she was. And uh, Jean picked up the phone. Um, and she said that mum had skin peeling off. Her legs—it it was just peeling off her legs. Um, so Jean called uh, for the doctor, and he'd advised her what to do. Um, and basically, the following morning, I fed Lucy and just needed to go home. And as I was driving home to Sheffield, uh, my mum died. Um, so we had this experience of within two weeks, both our parents had died. We'd had two funerals. Um, We needed to itemise all of the stuff in the house because mum and dad didn't believe in wills or things like that. And so we had this incredibly intense and intimate experience of almost going into every nook and cranny of my parents' life, public and private. Um, I then, about four or five months later um had one of those office conversations, somebody uh passing and just sort of saying, Joan, how are you? And and it was never there was never an intent for me to answer that. It was just one of those things that you say. And I realised actually had that person stopped and expected an answer, I don't think I would have been able to answer them. I got no idea how I was. And um at the time I was working um, with an external consultant uh, susan Kay, uh, challenge for excellence and she uh, suggested I went to get some support which is what I did with cruise bereavement care and uh, I got some amazing support um I had I didn't finish my bereavement work and it came up in my work later on um, when some managers who were being exited from the business described themselves as being feeling orphaned and I, I really resonated with that feeling um, um, such that uh, I wanted to uh, go and make something happen very differently for the way in which these managers were being exited and also the managers who were exiting those managers um, because we were experiencing in the business uh, they couldn't They couldn't face each other. They couldn't look each other in the eye anymore. Um, and that was such a shame after the quality of relationship that they'd had. Um, so I went to speak to my vice president at the time, uh, Martin, and actually as I was exploring what we could do, I talked about orphaned. And at that stage, I had this amazing reaction started in the pit of my stomach and just came up my body and I had tears bouncing out of my eyes. Um, Martin was shocked. I could see he was shocked. Um, it wasn't like tears that I'd ever experienced before in my life. And, um, but I sort of knew that in my body, somatically, I had held on to something that I needed to work with. Um, so I went back to cruise. And then when I, when I finished corporate life after 25 years, um, I decided that one of the things that I wanted to do was to actually become a bereavement volunteer, um, which is what I've done. And um, I've been working with bereaved people since 2004. So long story, but that's that's how I got into it. Amazing. One of the things
1: um, you just talked about there was it was unfinished. So you didn't, you didn't at the point where you experienced grief, you left the work unfinished. And I think you said that, your consultant susan had said it would come back and impact you um do you see that in your, in your work is that kind of a pattern that you see where sometimes people leave the work
2: unfinished so uh there's a fantastic book called grief work by a lady called julia samuels julia samuels started child bereavement uk which is another fantastic organization um, and she cites in there that 500,000 people die every year and at least five people are impacted by that death. Um, oh my God. So if you start to work out the maths, then it's inevitable. I believe that when we walk into any organisation, that there is loss in that organisation from everyday life. Without then thinking about the loss through separation, the loss through divorce, the loss through Um, re-engineering, restructuring, tearing relationships, friendships apart, which my experience is that we don't always pay attention to that phase. And I wonder why, you know, is that a phase that we are in some way fearful of, that we don't want to go into it? And if we don't want to, then why might we not want to go into it? So I think there's a lot of unfinished grief in any human system, in any group of people. Um, And it's an area that I'm really curious about um, and actually want to spend some time working with. So there's a fusion now for me between the bereavement work and loss and endings in organisation. I'm also curious about some of our Language in organizations. Um, So, Isabel Menz Blyth, many years ago, did uh, a seminal piece of work where she went into hospital uh, apparently um, in order to do some, you know, observe some teams at work. Uh, But what she noticed was the language that the nurses were using. So, rather than talking about Priya or John, they talk about the liver. In bed fifty nine, or you know, the cancer in bed, it it distanced people from the fact that actually you're dealing with a human being, Um, and that was so necessary for those people in order to be able to do the work that they did. And I think we've got language in our own organisations which distances from the fact that in front of me is another human being. But the reality is that that's what our work is about. Our work is about either individuals or small groups or even large groups of people. Um, So we talk about teams, we talk about departments, we talk Mm. about functions, we talk about restructuring, we talk about re-engineering. And we've got some language which sort of implies that we're not people and with all the complexity.
0: So then with the training and the practice you've got and looking at language inside organizations, what do you recommend as the starting point for when people are dealing with bereavement, grief, loss? And I'm even hearing now, um, it's maybe not only losing people, it's losing a project. It's losing people and other things.
1: There's endings, isn't there? There's
2: things stopping. Yeah.
0: So are there recommended starting points since it sounds like also we're all dealing with this.
2: That, that question's a great question, and it takes me in two places, John. Yeah. So the one place is, it's the sort of cerebral, um, let's educate ourselves. And um, William Bridges is really well known in our, in our profession for transitions. And one of his most amazing books is the book that he wrote after his wife died. Now, he'd been working in transitions been talking about transitions for 30 years when that happened but for me that book as he realizes it you know he almost says i've been working on transitions and i've really not understood what i've been doing until he goes through this transition of his wife dying and then meeting somebody else so he says look it's not change that people resist it's that process of transitioning that process of a state change of not you know that where you were is no longer and then there's an there's an emptiness and there's an there's a, a space where nothing seems the same until you then start to find a capacity to move forward and restart, reinvent, that whole transition is the most challenging thing. So I think there's an education, there's a cerebral education. I also think that in order to work in this space, we have to work on ourselves. Because if we are uncomfortable about going into endings, that will inevitably affect our practice. In the same way as when I sit alongside or sit opposite. Somebody whose son has committed suicide, whose mother died when she was six, she's now 26, but nobody has ever spoken about her her mother. And even worse, she's been cut out of all of the photographs since that time. If I am not prepared to be so still with that person that I can see them that they can see me. then it doesn't it doesn't work. So often I, I feel that people just need to be witnessed and in order to be in order to witness people we have to let go of everything that we've got, our own stuff and we just have to surrender to the experience and then trust that all of that knowledge that we have, it will come to the fore as and when it's required. So for me, it's about being in that stillness where people can see each other and really connect. Joe, when you, when you talk about people being fearful, the, the truest thing I could say
1: is that that is me. Um, I am someone who, so I'm 37 I have been on an infertility journey for a number of years. My dad this weekend um had a um heart problem. Um my both of my parents are still alive but the messages around death, endings have been very prevalent uh, or things not happening or things coming to an end. I left my corporate job a year and a half ago. So endings have been a real feature of my life. Um and I would say, I'm in the middle of that transition, and the and it's terrifying you know and i I don't use that word lightly, it's absolutely terrifying, and I am absolutely someone that would sit in your fearful camp that you described that said you know i'm I'm petrified i'm you know I'm really scared, and i i am so scared that I lean away um from it and i I don't think I'm the only one I think this is a you know from from the people that I've talked about it. I think it's a bit of a common thing. Um, there's a point where you realize your parents are aging. There's a point where you realize, you, you know, your own mortality. Um, and, and that's, that's exactly where I live at the moment. And I just wondered for, for me, for our listeners, are there any, um, I say words of wisdom. I, maybe that's not what I mean, but are there any, anything you could say to people like me or me that would maybe help me to see that it won't always be like this?
2: There's so much that you've said, Priya, in Mm. that. Um, I remember somebody saying to me uh, many years ago, in my early twenties, that we talk about, you know, we have to do this, or we have to do that, and got to do this, and got to do that.
0: Yeah.
2: And um, and and we, you know, I have that language in me. And what this person said is, Joan, there's only one thing you have to do in this life, and that's die. And that. And that that sort of woke me up in a way um, because it woke, it woke me up in that everything, therefore, is a choice. And stepping into one's bereavement, one's loss, one's fear is as natural as stepping into one's joy, one's excitement and one's love. And so my encouragement would be to choose to walk towards... Because somewhere in there is a gift that we can pick up, which then allows us to walk towards other people who are in those fearful places and gives us a point of connection. Um, And then I think the other thing is, I think you're already intimately connected to death. Um, What I know from my work is that death is not about old age
1: Yeah,
2: and that... When a seventeen-year-old son hangs himself, or a mother loses a three-year-old daughter, I, I I'd intimately know death is not about when I'm eighty. It could be about this conversation. This could be my last conversation. So, am I am I giving of my best? And then there's a lovely phrase from a gentleman called Frank Astaseski. Um who has uh, recently written a book called Five Invitations, and he's a Zen uh, Buddhist um, and who about 35 years ago opened uh, the first Zen hospice in, I think, San Francisco. But he talks about uh, death is the silent teacher in full sight. And I think that's something which, if we can all engage with, then we won't be fearful, necessary, in the same way and can take death as something which can give us life and yet i don't underestimate how hard that is for for all of us
1: thank you like i there's there's something that that's coming up for me about leaning into it all my energy is going from leaning away from it and i think that's maybe what's causing some of the fear and actually what i'm hearing in you and i'm this, what I'm seeing in you is somebody that leans into it and your ability to lean into it for yourself seems to mirror your ability to help your people that you're volunteering with, them lean into it.
2: I I think that phrase, lean in, is quite overused now, sadly. Mm. Sadly. Because, it, I don't know, when I think about that, I, I feel my body moving into yeah. it. Whereas actually my experience is it's tiny, tiny steps. Is it? And... You know, when I support people in their loss, you know, quite often they'll tell the story many times, but every time there is one thing that's slightly different. But that one thing slightly different is just taking them bit by bit towards being able to come through that transition phase. And so therefore being with absolute full attention and even having the capacity to notice that one thing that's different is the gift that we can give to people to help them move through these challenging transitions and have it sustainable because that's the key thing. Yeah, You know, are we doing work which really does allow that person to move forward and recreate a life um, where they can experience themselves as living, Again,
0: I'm thinking about um, transitions as we talk about that and viewing death as affecting all of us and I guess those that are still living are then going through the transition and viewing it that way. Um, I'm struggling with the the framing of a question and I guess looking for more of just are there stories or examples or you talk about that one thing that's unique is there one thing that you're able to share with us from one story or a pattern of those one things that could help all of us through this transition and if i
1: can come in with a question that i'm hearing when you're talking yeah as somebody that doesn't have good conversations in this space because i'm fearful of it and i'm leaning away your presence in this space and being you you talk about being still and witnessing this stuff i'm wondering is there a question is there a way that when we are with people when our listeners are with people that are going through loss is there a way that would help us to talk about it i think i think Mm. that's what i'm hearing right you know is there a not a technique but a you know I've, i've heard about you say about dealing with our own issues but is there a way of that would help us to witness?
2: So I think there's two things. I think this idea of being really still with people is part of that. And I think the final thing that comes to my mind is a poem by a gentleman called Nick Askew, uh, who's a film producer. Uh, and maybe I, if I just read that poem, because I think this addresses it, He says, before our words of encouragement and well-timed advice, before items gifted at beyond an arm's length, did you ever consider the one thing that might turn the entire world on its axis? Your undivided and so still attention. I I think that makes a difference, Priya. In this busy world, I think our undivided and so still attention makes a difference
0: probably yeah well done so much i i sense it for us sitting here together in a room the stillness the presence we have here i'm hoping we're able to capture it but let's see how this plays out um it's an honor and a privilege as always to sit with you thanks for a few minutes and um with that we'll close this episode
1: it's goodbye from the Three of Us. Thank you so much. Been an absolute honor. Thank you. Thank you. It's goodbye from Biggleswade.
0: <laughs> Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for being with us. Until next time, it's your turn to ask the questions worth asking.